This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Jesus, there's no wonder why when we look at this, the abuses today, he says, in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship in truth? See, worship is a spiritual activity attached to spiritual experiences, yet they are all grounded and guided by absolute truth that is found in Christ and his word. I like how one commentator put it. He said, unless we have accurate knowledge of the God we worship, there is no worshiping in truth. As Pastor Josh continues his teaching series through the Gospel of John, he'll be challenging you to worship the Lord from a sincere heart. God knows everything about you, and he knows when you sin and mess up, but he wants you to come to him with confession and repentance. Remember, you can't earn your salvation with good deeds. If you want to worship biblically, then you have to worship God as he is revealed in scripture. He desires your heart and wants obedience out of love and gratitude. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of John chapter four, as he continues his message, How Doctrine Shapes Worship. Many people today tend to define worship in the sense of rituals and religious practices. In other words, if you went to church and you sang a song or you recited a prayer or you did these certain things, then you worshiped. But what Jesus indicates is that the physical appearance, listen church, the physical appearance of worship does not equal authentic worship taking place. When we worship, Jesus makes it clear that our spirit must be engaged for the worship of God is a spiritual transaction. Listen to how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. He says, you also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. What kind of house? A holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. What kind of sacrifices? acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And now the image here is obvious. It's the image of a temple. Israel had a physical temple built with physical stones. It had physical priests and physical sacrifices. And Peter tells us that the church is the spiritual house of God, that we are living spiritual stones, offering spiritual sacrifices, and then we have all become spiritual priests unto God through Jesus Christ. In other words, here how, here's how we can maybe uh, set this in a picture. Before Christ's sacrifice, before Christ's spirit came into each of us, worship would go something like this. You go to the place where God is so that you can worship him there. And when you left, God stayed there and you went there. Okay? Now Jesus comes and he says, no, I have made you the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the household of God. You're offering spiritual sacrifices of praise, of worship, of your life, of your love, of your generosity, of your obedience to God day in, day out. So when you and I gather in the church, we don't come to worship God because God is in the church. God comes into the church in you and manifests himself through us as we gather together. 
It's an incredible promise that we have. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Why? Because they are the temple. They are the dwelling place of God in the spirit. So worship is a spiritual transaction. Secondly, and this might scare some of you, lock the doors. Worship, the worship of God is, contains spiritual experiences. Now, when, you, when some of you hear the word spiritual and experience together, you get nervous because of all the abuse that has taken place with experiences, spiritual experiences in the church. So many things have been done attributed to the Holy Spirit that have no marks of the Holy Spirit at all. And so people see these people doing these wacky and weird things, and they go, oh, that kind of scares me. I don't, I don't know if I want to be part of this whole experience-based Christianity. But here's the sad result. Many of God's people who belong to Jesus have become afraid of the Holy Spirit. Here, here, here's how I see it kind of divided in the church today. First Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul's talking about the movement and the ministry of the Spirit among corporate, the corporate body of Christ. And he says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And here's what I found. There aren't many people out there today that embrace both halves of this scripture together. There are some who just want to quote the first part. Hey, don't quench the spirit and don't despise prophecies. Hey, man, if it's spiritual, don't question it, you spirit quencher, you. I've had people tell me, Josh, you just quench the spirit. You, just, you can't put boxes around God. You know, he's so big, he can do whatever he wants. You know? And, and, and we're, what they're really saying is they're using justification because, and, and, and honestly, they love their experience more than they love the truth of God. And they put themselves in spiritual danger and other people in spiritual danger at the expense of wanting their experience. They want to have it. They want to attribute it to God. Who cares if it's not in the Bible? Who cares if it's bearing bad fruit? Who cares if it's causing division? Who cares if everyone's confused as long as I get mine? But remember this. Emotion doesn't automatically mean spiritual. A lot of people are very driven by what they feel. Emotion doesn't necessarily mean spiritual. But on the other side of this equation and spectrum... Because they're so afraid of that first group, there are others that just stick to the last half. Test all things and hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. And they use this out of context as an excuse to expel anything from their worship that hints of a spiritual encounter or a spiritual experience. All those spiritual signs and wonders and healings and the gifts aren't for us today. If I feel something I can't rationalize with my human mind, it must not be from God. If anyone claims to be filled with the Spirit or speak in tongues or sing in the Spirit or proclaim that God has done something supernatural in their life, we've got to kick them out of the church before they infect us all. <laughs> and sadly, typically the people who are on this side of the camp are the people who are saying, we're just protecting sound doctrine. Hey, do you know that sound doctrine always leads to true spiritual worship of God, not worship of doctrine? 
Hey, you might have people who are worshiping their experience, shame on them. You might have people who are worshiping their own understanding, their own theology, their own doctrine. I'm all about doctrine. That's sad because you should be all about Jesus. Doctrine leads you to Christ, to an awe and amazement and a worship of him. What is so difficult for us as human beings to just be scriptural? When we engage as spiritual people in communication or praise or activity with God who is spirit, there is no question about it. Something deeply spiritual takes place. It has to. God is spirit. If I walked into a church and I did this thing they called worship and my spirit isn't impacted, Nothing in my heart is challenged or moved. I'm not met with any power to combat my sin, any convictions, any strength for my weakness. I'm not exposed and open and naked before God and receiving transcendent and incredible grace and love and mercy and power. How can I call it worship? Because at that point, you're not engaging with God who is spirit with your spirit. You're just going through the motions. You're just doing what you do every Sunday, singing the songs you know every Sunday, and if they aren't the songs you like, then it's just boring, and this is, and, and it just becomes, Jeremy said it this today, it becomes a service about us rather than our service to the Lord. Amen. We must worship in spirit, but notice secondly, Jesus, there's no wonder why. When we look at this, the abuses today, he says, in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship in truth? See, worship is a spiritual activity attached to spiritual experiences, yet they are all grounded and guided by absolute truth that is found in Christ and his word. I like how one commentator put it. He said, unless we have accurate knowledge of the God we worship, there is no worshiping in truth. Those who wish to worship biblically must worship God as he is revealed in the scripture. Unbiblical views of God must be rejected. Worshiping doesn't mean that we lose our mental capacity or ability to think or ability to test things that should be true. In 1 John chapter 4, John says we should be able to discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Why? Because many false prophets have gone into the world. God has given us discernment to use in our worship. Now, I'm certainly flawed and learning and growing, but this has always been my heart and name for my personal and corporate worship before the Lord. Whether I'm in my room by myself, with my family, in a small group, or in a congregation of saints gathered on Sunday morning, I am not interested in engaging in worship that is not profoundly spiritual. I want to be changed and touched by the Spirit of God. I want nothing less than that. I want to engage emotionally, mentally, and physically in my worship to the Lord. I want to hear prophecies. I want to hear words of knowledge. I want scripture to spiritually challenge my sin and build me up in the, in, the, in the things of God. I want to see things that cause me to stand in utter amazement of how great God is. Twice the Bible warns us, once in the prophets and once repeated by Jesus, about the danger of drawing near to God with your lips, but having your hearts far from him. I want my heart, my spirit to be engaged in worship, but I am also not interested in the least in having an experience of worship that is not distinctively grounded and contained within biblical guidelines and truth. 
I'm just not. I talked about it last week, so I won't hit it with a hammer. But if Paul the Apostle says that God is not the author of confusion and that all things are to be done decently in order and all prophecies are to be put to the test, then I don't want, I'm not interested in something that looks contrary to that. I don't need to bark like an animal to know that I'm closer to God. I don't need to roll around on the ground and laugh uncontrollably. I don't need to be slain in the spirit by some special person who has the ability to wield the power of God in some way. Listen, okay, I'm just going to move on. If the early church didn't need it, I don't need it. Satan is, is always trying to infiltrate in ways that enrapture people in their emotions and in their feelings and in their experiences and take their eyes off the true things God wants to do in their lives. And, and we just don't want that. Here's the kind of worship I think should happen in every church. And I, if I'm just honest, I'll say that uh, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes it does. I don't claim to know all the factors <laughs> about why. But when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, every time I read this, I tremble a little bit. Every time I read it, I ask, Lord, please, please let it be so. He says, when an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, comes into where? Well, comes into a gathering of the saints when they're gathered together to worship the Lord. He is convinced by all. He's convicted by all. And the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. That's the kind of worship experience I want to have with the church. It is undeniable that the presence, the power, the word, the truth of God is in every single heart, every single mind that God is present and speaking and convicting and challenging and exposing. So all this to say, we want our worship to be spiritual in nature and grounded and rooted in the truth as revealed in scripture, the truth of Jesus specifically. We could say that sound doctrine leads to sound worship. Not to be confused with good sounding worship. That doesn't happen all the time, okay? So what should our worship experience look like if it's focused on Jesus, formed around his spirit and his truth? I led worship uh, praise. It's a form of worship for about five years at a church. And we used to do these conferences and we had a big pastor's conference at the church. There's like 400 pastors there. And I was getting ready. We were all practicing, getting ready to lead worship. And I go up on the stage, and I don't want to confuse you with technical terms, but back at the soundboards, you know, those wretched things back there, <laughs> they have different units, okay? And they have, this, they have units that can give your voice reverb, so you, you sound better than you actually are. This is kind of what reverb is. It's a, an effect on your voice. And... Literally, on this reverb unit, there were predetermined like settings, you know? And the one that I liked to use was called Heavenly, Heavenly Angels or something to that degree. It's Heavenly something. You know, it was uh, this beautiful reverb, you know? Well, the one right underneath it, if you were to press the button, um, it was called Gates of Hell. <laughs> no joke, I'm not kidding. And it was a voice that gave you like octaves on your voice lower and made you sound like, like you know, evil. And someone accidentally switched that from the heavenly angels to the gates of hell. And I go up there, and literally, I, I welcome everyone, and it comes out, welcome everybody to the conference. You know? <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you this. It's Other than, you know, the enemy is seeking ways to infiltrate 
into Christian worship. And, and I think when true worship is happening, spirit and truth, there are a few things we can expect. So let me just quickly go through these and then we'll be done for this morning. When true worship is happening, I already said it, but there will be a true spiritual experience between people and God. And before you get hung up on the word experience, let me explain that true worship will always be centered around God, not an experience. True worship that is directed to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But if God is there and being honored and welcomed, then we will certainly experience him in a special way. In a recent survey done of evangelical Bible-believing Christians, and I think I might have shared this with you before, Eight out of every 10 people surveyed said that they have no personal connection with God at church. That's 80% who would say they would sit through an entire service from beginning to end, and none of the aspects of what take place there feel like they encountered and impacted and and, and met with God in some way. Why is this so? We come to a God who promises that he inhabits the praises of his people, that he loves to hear us call upon his name. A.W. Tozer in Divine Conquest makes an eerie observation. He writes, in the average church service, the most real thing is the shadowy unreality of everything. The worshiper sits in a state of suspended mentation. A kind of dreamy numbness creeps upon him. He hears words, but they do not register. He cannot relate them to anything on his own life level. That was Tozer. It just, as I read that again, I, uh, memory came to mind of, um, I, I've been in ministry f- for 18 years, and I tell you what, man, to try to do this thing without the Spirit is exhausting. I have seen churches build kingdoms in the flesh only to have them crumble at the lack of foundation. And I just, I'm not interested. (laughs) What's the new flashy thing over there? Well, who's got the best thing over there? Well, who's children's ministry? Well, who's, you know what? Let's say this. Let's be people who are filled with the Spirit. Who are grounded in the truth. Who are growing and maturing and serving and learning how to love each other well and serve each other well and serve the people around us well. Let's let Jesus build his church because when Jesus builds his church, what does the Bible say? What did Jesus say? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And those spiritual realities are so important. We can't do this thing on our own. We need the spirit. The next thing that will be true is that when, when true, excuse me, when, when worship is happening in spirit and in truth, Jesus will be the center of attention. Amen. Now, we can't avoid utilizing human beings in the process of ministry. God calls people to teach. God calls people to lead worship. God calls people and gives them spiritual gifts to minister to each other. You can't avoid that. But when, when, when we are truly engaging God, if you see some, someone not pointing the attention and the focus to Jesus, that's a problem. This is one of the reasons I truly value songs that are centered on the nature of God, Christ's sacrifice, the resurrection of Jesus, his worth. So many, because our culture is so narcissistic today and so self-focused, a lot of the songs that are being written today in churches are all about me. 
my victory, my breakthrough, my, my this. And, you know, God's in there somewhere to give it to me. Now, listen, we can't disconnect ourselves from our need from God. It's not bad to pray about ourselves, to talk, to sing about things we need, but let's always make sure to go back to, to the way that Paul did. Now, unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone who is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What about the worship in heaven? When you see the worship in heaven, you see the angels and the saints saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. May Jesus be the center of our worship. The next thing I think takes place when we worship in spirit and in truth is that we become more impressed with God and less impressed with ourselves. Listen to these words of Paul, and I'm almost finished. Paul says, we are the circumcision, not in the flesh, but of the spirit, who worship God in the spirit. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. We have no confidence in the flesh. And then he goes on to say, I might have confidence in the flesh. I circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, Pharisee of Pharisees concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He says, all the things that were gained to me in the flesh, I have counted loss for the excellency of knowing Jesus. In other words, Paul said, when I learned to worship in the spirit, not, not my best performance, not my religious acts, not my deeds, not my good works. When I learned to worship God in the spirit, all of a sudden I looked in the mirror and said, I am nothing and Jesus is everything. And what I've gained is nothing and gaining Jesus is everything. When you encounter God, church, you don't become more impressed with your performance. You become more impressed with his power and his goodness and his love and his mercy and his grace. And then finally, when true worship happens, it'll bear fruit in every area of your life. Everywhere you look, you see people being formed and shaped and changed through the things they experience, right? Our worldview, our, our convictions, they're all formed and shaped by our experiences. What, what makes a sports fanatic? Do we have any sports fanatics in the room? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> it's what? It's continued experience. Looking up that stat, going to that game, purchasing that merch, you know, getting, involving yourself. It's like you're part of the team. You're not. Sorry to break it to you. <laughs> but you think you are. What makes, a, um, what's, what makes a motorcycle fanatic? Oh, man, you hear the, you feel the wind on your face as you're going down the mountain road, and you have others around you, and, and it's just freedom and power. I don't know. I've never even ridden a motorcycle. But one time I did, I got in an accident. I have a scar on my knee right there. But What makes an outdoor enthusiast? It's continued experience, going on that hike, going on the next adventure, going a little further, a little deeper, getting the next pack, getting the... What makes a Jesus enthusiast? It's someone who spiritually has engaged experience with God. They're walking with Jesus. They're serving Jesus. They're encountering Jesus. They're worshiping Jesus. They're giving. They're, they're serving. They're sacrificing. They're having a continued experience with God that says, this is what it's about. Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. Throughout this study, 
We learn about how the Apostle Paul mentored a young pastor friend who was working to reach the hearts of the people he was pastoring. Paul was in Rome at the time, and persecution was no stranger to either of these men. Despite all of that, Paul trusted God to use him where he was. He encouraged Timothy to continue spreading the gospel message. We hope today's teaching has inspired you to continue going forward, even when things get hard. God will take care of all your needs. He'll use your gifts and abilities right where you're at, so you can stand strong to love others well. Will you place your faith in God? If you're checking this whole God thing out for the first time and haven't come to know Jesus as your personal Savior, that's okay. But please, please go to TheAscendingLife.com and click on the Know Jesus tab. There you'll be pointed in the right direction to know more about how much God loves you. Here at Grace Church, we want your heart to be awakened to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to hear more messages from Pastor Josh? Hop online and visit our website, TheAscendingLife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Again, that's TheAscendingLife.com. We so appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. But that's it for now. Will you make plans to join us again? We hope so, because there's more to learn about God. So be sure to tune in next time on The Ascending Life. We're reaching up, we're pressing